So today, as we know, is the final Sunday of the Church's year, a day that we celebrate as the Feast of Christ the King. And one of the readings set aside for this feast is that Gospel passage we've just heard. The King coming, the Son of Man coming as King, but as Judge. And so it's a day, as the year draws to a close, when it seemed to me that we might think a little about judgment. I'm aware that the, the sermons for this term have been under the theme of Christian witness through history. But perhaps tonight is a night for thinking about our own witness, yours and mine, to examine ourselves as this church's year comes to an end. What is that judgment going to be like? I mean, I wonder whether we have a kind of fear of a nightmare scenario in which we will find ourselves, so to speak, being judged on a syllabus of which we were unaware. I actually had that nightmare in reality once. In the mid-1960s, I had to do a course in Rome on texts of Aristotle. The lectures were in Latin. The examination was in Latin, an oral examination. And there were selected texts, of course. And I went into this examination and the professor, the examiner, uh, indicated to me a paragraph which I did not recognize as part of the syllabus. He was a kindly man. He said, read the first sentence. So I read the first sentence of this paragraph and then he asked me to explain it. And of course, my brain was paralyzed with panic. And uh, he could see that. It didn't take too much to be able to see that. And he said to me, read the second sentence. So I read the second sentence. And the second sentence, of course, unraveled some of the meaning of the first sentence. And so I stumbled a few extra comments. Now read the third sentence, he said. And so he led me very kindly through the passage and even, in fact, passed me, although with the lowest possible pass mark, which was even more than I deserved. But is that, I wonder, how we think of the Last Judgment? Are we going to be, as it were, hauled up and examined according to a syllabus of which, as I say, we're unaware, we haven't known about it? And yet... We also hear today a reading from the prophet Ezekiel, the one who comes is the good shepherd who cares for us. So the last judgment we have confidence is not going to be some matter of trick questioning. And I think if we look, one way of beginning at least, to reflect upon judgment, our own judgment, and how we should live our lives, therefore, is to look at that 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. 
There are three episodes in it, three parables. We just heard the third this evening. I may just tell you this. Next month, I celebrate the 42nd anniversary of my priestly ordination. I've done quite a lot of preaching over the last almost 42 years, as you can imagine. One of the most comforting phrases that I cherish is a remark made by John Henry Newman, whose name is not unfamiliar in this place, and some of you may fear that you hear Newman's name too often. I don't know about that. But Newman at one stage said, I take it as an absolute canon that a sermon to be effective must be imperfect. It's a great comfort to the preacher. What he is actually saying, of course, is not that he wants to encourage poor preaching, but saying, in a sermon, you can't say everything. You have to concentrate first on one thing, then on another, then on something else. And the same is true of parables. Don't ask of a parable more than it can yield. And so, if you remember in this chapter, the first of these parables is the parable of the ten virgins, or the ten bridesmaids, waiting for the bridegroom to come, five of whom are wise and five are foolish. And people are often critical, aren't they, of the wise virgins, because they feel they should have shared with the foolish ones. The mori, as the Greek has it, it's the word from which we get the word morons. The wise ones should have shared with the morons. But it's not a parable about sharing. It's a parable about taking care of the gifts that have been granted to you. The morons are a bit like those people who come up to you who have failed to charge their mobile phone and want to use yours just when you're waiting for an important message to come through. We know those people, don't we? It's not a parable about sharing. It's a parable about taking care of your resources, the gifts you've received, so that you can exercise those gifts well. And the next parable is about the man of property going on a journey, who leaves five talents to one servant, two to another, and one to a third. The third, the man who only receives the one talent, he just neglects it. And so he's in trouble when the master returns. But what I think is wonderful about this parable, what I always love about it, is the fact that those who receive the five talents, the man who receives the five talents, and the character who receives the two, are praised equally. The person with five talents is not praised the more because he has more gifts. He's praised because of the way he has used the gifts, the talents that he's received. But the man who's only received the two talents, but has used them to the very best of his ability, he too is praised and praised equally. We receive gifts and we should recognize them and care for them. When we care for them, we should use them wisely and well and what are the criteria for that good use of that, those talents? Now we come to this third parable. We don't use them simply for ourselves, selfishly, but we use them in the service of others. 
This is the parable about sharing. Have we fed the hungry, given drink to the thirsty, clothed the naked, visited those who are sick or in prison, taken care of those in need? Look, it's not the whole story. But if we're wondering about a syllabus for our lives, I suggest to you that the 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel is not a bad place to begin. We ask ourselves, what are the gifts that I've been given? Can I recognize those gifts? And recognizing them, how do I use them? Do I use them wisely and effectively? And a criterion for that wise and effective use is when I find that I'm not just using them for myself, but for others, when I'm using them generously, unselfishly, in the service and the care of those in need. I suggest that if that's the syllabus that we're trying to live our lives by, then when Christ the King comes as judge, the King who comes as judge may perhaps at first seem rather a daunting, awesome, terrifying figure. But when we look more closely, we'll find that the King who is the judge is not only the Good Shepherd who cares for us, but we will discover that we recognize in him those whom we have been trying to serve. We suddenly realize that those to whom we have given food and drink and clothing, whom we visited when they were in need, suddenly we recognize the presence of the Lord in them. Insofar as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me.